Welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action. I have been. Entertainment Reviews. Never shall be. Podcast. Your friend. I suspect our future is there waiting for us. Make it so. The truth is, I don't believe in the no-win scenario. Is that what you believe in, James T? You must learn to govern your passions. The captain cannot cheat death. This could just be the beginning. You know, it's exciting. I swear to you, we're not finished yet. All hands to battle stations. In three, two, one. Engage. Our Star Trek film series retrospective continues. On this episode, we will be discussing and reviewing Star Trek, the next generation films. I will do everything I can to make you answer for what you did. This is about saving the future of humanity. I do not deserve to live. Fine, I'll kill you later. Are you out of your Vulcan mind? Remember, live long and prosper. This podcast will contain spoilers. So, this is goodbye. I will be back. You better be. You ain't seen nothing yet. And now, here are your hosts for this retrospective. Mike Winkler, Jeremy Larson, and Jason Kabasik. Well, everybody, welcome back to another Lights, Camera, Action, Entertainment Reviews podcast. We are returning with our Star Trek film retrospective, and tonight we are on to Captain Picard and his crew, The Next Generation. I am Best here returning with opinion. Jeremy Larson and Jason Kabasik. And uh, all right, guys, so uh, let's talk with the it's almost somewhat controversial in a way because it was the movie that brought Picard and Kirk together with Star Trek Generations. Yeah, it was. I thought Generations was a very good movie. I did too. I thought it was good as well. Uh, the only problem I had with Generations was how Kirk went out in the end. That was the only... It yeah. just... just didn't. It didn't feel like a fit ending to Kirk. No. Um, and that's kind of my biggest gripe with it, I think, if anything, because I look at the great send-off that Kirk had in Undiscovered Country and that whole crew. And to bring him back and here I to give him... I think that should have been... The what? I think that should have been, you know, his proper send-off. I don't think he should have been in this movie. There if, really was no need, in my opinion. If it wasn't for his death the way it was, um, I would, I would, I would probably say, if they were going to kill him off, I probably would have thought of a more heroic way to do it. To me, it was heroic, but it just kind of felt weak. It was a, it was a weak heroic. It, it yeah. was. Because you know, I don't imagine heroism as being crushed by a bridge. No, I mean, let's think about how many different things. Kirk has been through in his career and how many life or death situations he's been in. And that's kind of how they decide to have him go out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if he would have taken like a shot to the gut or something from, um, from Soren in that movie, that might've been a little better, like kind of stepping in the way of, you know, between him and Picard, cause he's already dead anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> like a, like a slow bleed out where, you know, yeah, he yeah. had to be heroic and fight through the bleeding out. And in order mm -hmm. to save it, he had to die for it. That, that exactly. I agree. Exactly. Yep. That could, that, that, that would have made better. a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like jumping across just a tiny, well, I guess it, from the camera angles, it didn't look tiny, but it felt 
It's just like he hopped about three feet ahead of him onto the other portion of the bridge that just fell off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I think, too, um, I think my other biggest gripe with this movie is, is near the end, too, because, you know, the, the big plot of the film is, is the Nexus. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the movie does a pretty good job explaining the Nexus, but I almost felt like that there was almost a little bit of a question mark at the end because a lot of people have speculated, you know, when, when Picard leaves the Nexus and goes back with, with Kirk, mm-hmm. at the end of the film, is he living the rest of his life out in the Nexus or is he back in reality? I, uh, that, that's way, that's far too much speculation than the, that ending of the movie deserves. Mm-hmm. As much as you would think that it's suddenly, you know, uh, what is it? Like it kind of compares as to like Ash Ketchum and Pokemon when he sees the legendary bird and he's destined to oh, be yeah, the yeah. Pokemon for master forever because he's 12 forever. And so you see Picard kind of doing the same thing as captain of the enterprise forever. Cause he doesn't want to live that down. You could still go that same way, but I feel that they made it pretty clear that they left the Nexus. I guess you could almost say the Nexus is kind of in a way, a time travel device then yeah yeah well like Guinan said you can go anywhere anytime it didn't matter what i find one plot hole with that though now because if soren wanted to go back to the nexus to live with his family right Mm -hmm. why couldn't he have gone into the nexus and then chose to go back to the point before his his uh family died and save him and save them like the card did. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, uh, I never well, really actually thought about that. We're also looking at this from the standpoint of how his entire planet was killed off in the first place as you're looking at the Borg. Right. The Borg are kind of an unstoppable force and to be able to prevent such a catastrophe, it would be... He, I don't think he, him as a person... Would, would take the easy way out. He would take the easy way and just live in the fantasy that they're still alive because it feels it feels real in the Nexus. A lot simpler, too. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Uh, Soren's a smart guy, but he's not going to use a trilithium weapon on the Borg. That's true, and Picard's going back for his feet was a hell of a lot easier than battling the Borg destruction of a planet. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that, that's probably true. That's a good point. And it's just, it's also a, uh, a running theme with Picard that duty is his main focus. That's true. In his life. Yeah. As much as he does have uh, small regrets, not having a family and not being able to, to do the things that he want to do, they've explored that quite a bit in the television series. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, oh, what was that? Like when uh, Q sent him back in time to, to see if he would do anything differently in Starfleet Academy, there's another point of just, no, he was going to do things the same way over and over again. Mm-hmm. Well, the, it's funny you bring up the mention of, of uh, subject of family because um, that was one thing I really liked about Picard's storyline in this movie is that, you know, when he lost his nephew and, and I believe it was, was it his brother or his uh, sister? That was he his lost? brother. His brother. And um, 
that scene that Patrick Stewart plays out is, is heartbreaking because just he's oh, in that is. room. Oh, yeah. He's looking through that album and Troy comes in. And, you know, there's not many times where we see, we've seen Picard emotional in the series, especially with his, his feud with the Borg. But mm-hmm. um, in a way, I kind of almost see, see this as we've never seen Picard like this before over family. I think uh, comparing the acting of emotional Picard in the series versus film, mm-hmm. he does a much better job portraying uh, broken down and uh, emotional mm-hmm. in the movies better than he did in... Yeah. <laughs> Everything kind of felt a little... Going back and watching it, I watch it all the time. It, it just feel, it feels uh, overdone. Mm-hmm. Exaggerated. That's what yeah. it is. Well, uh, well, that's why I like what they're doing with Star Trek Picard too, because they've carried over that full emotion Picard into that series, and they're really playing off his his duty to Starfleet and and how Starfleet kind of went against everything that he was about when he served. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, I, I almost feel as though if Picard could do it all over again, I think that he would go the family route. I think the further the further he goes, it's just as much as he would want to go back and do that, mm-hmm. he would probably look at the events in his life that would lead up to where he is now and mm-hmm. still choose still the same route. I think that he'd choose the duty route. Hmm. Because if if not him to pretty much defeat the Borg, who else? That's true. And because look at how many people tried and failed to defeat the Borg. I mean, even Janeway battled the Borg and Voyager, and she was not even as successful as Picard ever was. Yeah. Guys, guys, I've got the simple solution to that. It was mm-hmm. going to be Warp. <laughs> it's going to be Warp. Yep. Hey, wait a minute. Warp was in the battle in first contact, and he was going to lose if the Enterprise didn't save the Defiant. So. Yeah. I don't know if Warp would have been your hero. but no what jeremy said is right uh Mm -hmm. i can't find a flaw in that argument there and i think i think that through through the movies and through the series that picard has really found a family in the people that he had served with Mm -hmm. he kind of like i think he's taken a father kind of role to data which I know is an interesting relationship in itself because he's an android, mm-hmm. but it, that kind of fills a hole, not probably not completely, but it fills it enough to where he's content with the decisions that he's made. Exactly. Yeah, I can agree. I can agree with that. It, it's, it's, I don't know if I want to say that if I try to compare Picard and Kirk, um, I have to say probably Kirk, maybe more so, would have chose family over duty, maybe more so than Picard. Yeah. Uh, Kirk is super self-centered. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, if he were to be able to go back, he would do it. Like, they even, they even showed that. With Antonia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What did you guys think of how they explained Kirk being able to being able to interact with Picard, but it's another Nexus question because like when Picard shows up there, Guinan says that 
Kirk just arrived there too, but I mean, obviously he's been there for over 75 years. Why wouldn't he have a sense of that? See, I think the, uh, the reason that they're playing it off like that is because if Kirk spent far too much time in the Nexus, you wouldn't be able to pull him out. But because they made the point that time has no meaning, you can go to the point of where he had just shown up in the Nexus. So Guinan placed Picard in the, in the point of where he had just arrived, which yes. might have been 75 years earlier. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. Well, that answers some of my Nexus questions. I'm, I'm kind of glad you cleared some of those up because I, now that you mentioned some of that stuff, it actually makes a lot of sense. A lot better than some of the message boards were mentioning. They were just making me even more confused trying to read all that stuff up. It's, so. it's I think it's a... I think uh, Generations gets a lot more hate than it deserves because yeah. it's a good film. It's a beautiful film. It is a film. good film. It's a great film. It, it ties up like a lot of, of a lot of different loose ends. Mm-hmm. Um, you're dealing with Kirk and how he dies, uh, Lursa and Bator. They come back into that the play. That was a nice comeback. And mm-hmm. I loved those two. The, the, their on-screen presence is so captivating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. Like, this movie was really good. And my only gripe with it is what we discussed at the beginning. And that was, you know, the way Kirk was sent off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's basically my only gripe with it. I mean, Malcolm McDowell is a is a fantastic villain Ooh, in everything he is absolutely. in. Absolutely. And the fact that they got him into a Star Trek film, th- thank you. Because he, I couldn't think of anybody else better to play Soren than him. Mm-hmm. He and he was... Uh, he was sinister that just about it. speaks volumes about what McDowell can do because I've been watching him since I was young and watched A Clockwork Orange for the first time. Oh, great film. Great film. It's funny, too, because I just watched him in... Uh, he's surprisingly in the movie uh, I Spy with Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson, and he plays the villain oh, yeah, role, right. but his role <laughs> is so minimal. But even the minimal screen time he gets, he just, he just dominates the screen every scene he's in because he's just so domineering and he you know his voice is just you know what he reminds me of think of it this way look at um look at the way snape was in harry potter how alan rickman commanded the screen in every scene he was in Mm -hmm. i kind of get that professor snape alan rickman vibe from him in some of those scenes that he's in because he just takes over a scene with the way he acts and how conniving his voice is he just looks like he's up to something every time he talks Mm -hmm. yeah I just got this pulled up from Wikipedia here about uh, McDowell playing Soren. McDowell previously worked with Stewart on stage decades earlier and relished the chance to be the one to kill Shatner's character. He liked his character Spike Hair and Black Ensemble and requested that he not play an alien. I'm glad he didn't. I, I, I feel like that would have... It, it's kind of like the um, discussion we were having about uh, Ultron in our Marvel retrospective mm-hmm. is that James Spader played a really good Ultron, but some people wish that he could have played himself. You see him as himself, but it mm-hmm. kind of would have taken away from the fact that Ultron is big and menacing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of the problem they ran into in, uh, in Star Trek Beyond with Idris Elba playing an alien for most of the movie, mm-hmm. hiding his face for almost the whole f- film. He's just such a good actor and it's not really... He's not an actor you want to hide his face when he's acting. And no, you, can, you really don't. You can make him an alien without changing his appearance too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they went overboard in Star Trek Beyond with his face. <laughs> Way too overboard. <laughs> but we'll save that one for our Kelvin trilogy. <laughs> uh, but um, 
I guess the only other side note to really mention in this movie, two things, is the destruction of the Enterprise D and then Data's emotion ship. Um, yeah. I felt like the, the Enterprise D going out was fitting. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Deserved. good. Um, and I thought that the way that the Klingons got the better of them was pretty uh, ingenious. Mm-hmm. It was believable. It wasn't just like, you it know... Was, it, it felt tricky because it was the science of it. It was like, oh, they're at some sort of, you know, uh, frequency. Let's match that frequency, go right through it. Mm-hmm. So why not? Yeah, it works. It works. And I think it was earned. It, yes. was, it, it was really earned. I mean, I know the reasoning behind why the D got destroyed in this movie, because when they were filming the movie, they filmed it in CinemaScope. It was super widescreen. And, and the ship sets were not built for that because the original series, Next Generation, was filmed in a four by three full screen. And it was basically in a square box. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the movie's going from this to this. Mm-hmm. And they had to reconstruct aspects of the bridge set to fit the movie. And they just realized mm-hmm. going forward, this was not going to work as a set. And that's why you don't see a lot of the Enterprise in the movie. Just the engineering, engineering the bridge, and parts of sickbay. You never really even see the hallways. You see 10 forward as well. Yeah, 10 forward too. 10 forward is actually one of the bigger sets. So yeah. that worked out okay. But yeah, you don't mm-hmm. really see the hallways though. Other than when they're running through and the ship's separating. And it's nope. shot very tight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And yeah. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of, I was okay with it. Um, because I felt like the D had its time. Mm-hmm. Um, it did. And it left way for, it, it made way for the far superior E. Uh, oh, God, yeah. Coming in after Generations was over. Mm-hmm. I yeah. do find this interesting, though, how... Uh, one other thing I just found, the cast of the next generation started filming their scene for Generations just four days after wrapping on the show. Jeez. Oh. Wow. Man, uh, they had the, no break. The Enterprise D crash scenes were filmed mid-May 94 and were among the last remaining shots before the existing next generation sets were demolished to make way for Voyager. Interesting. Wow. Four days. Wow. That's crazy. So basically, when they shot a series finale, it just it didn't feel like a series <laughs> finale. They knew they were going to jump right into a movie. Exactly. Well, I think they wanted to try and complete the movie as soon as they could because they didn't want to make the age gap between the two generations really, mm-hmm. really big to where mm-hmm. you end up where you had Leonard Nimoy come in in the, um, the Kelvin trilogy mm-hmm. where he is extremely old. You can't do much with him when you have Exactly. Him. Yeah, true. This is where they kept it so they could get Kirk in on the action as much as he possibly could. Mm-hmm. And then as far as Data's emotion ship, uh, this is not the first time we've gone down the emotion, tri- uh, emotion ship train or the path because mm-hmm. the, the show flirted with it an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really the first time where I think it got, you know, to a point where they really used it as a full-blown storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, I, I like the fact that they found a way to uh, humanize data a little bit in this movie because I feel oh, yeah. like oh yeah, I love they, they, they needed that. Yes, um, it, like these movies, they they all focus on two main characters in particular: it's Picard and Data. Mm-hmm. The other characters kind of pale in comparison to both of those two in their storylines when it comes to this. Uh, quadrilogy mm-hmm. um but data getting his emotion chip it's a big step for him to to, to take it 
And to take it during an ongoing investigation might not have been the best choice, but it was it was kind of the right choice because it put him in all these different scenarios to where he could experience uh, what was how many emotional states did he have by the end of the movie? Oh, there was quite a bit. Wow. This is a long Google search. <laughs> I, I wanted to say it was like somewhere in 700 emotional states. But. Wow. Well, yeah, I, I, and the thing of it is too, is that, that really, um, the, the, the motion ship in, in Generations plays a big part in the first contact with him, too. So it's, oh, kind, of, it's kind of a nice little uh, beginning to how it's bridged over into first contact. Mm -hmm. Matter yeah, of fact, oh. we, we can use that as our bridge into first contact. Oh, first contact. It is, it, it, I think it is the absolute masterpiece of the Next Generation films. It, by far. Yeah. Everything about it just, it just works. The way the movie's shot... Um, the the PTSD of Picard, the emotions yeah. of Data that actually they grow from generations. Mm -hmm. um, I I thought the the Borg the Borg were always fascinating to me because of their philosophy and their strive to be perfect through every single species that they encounter. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. it's one of those things too where I almost feel like as well like uh, this is easily the wrath of Khan of the next generation. Um, with the with the personal stuff and and everything, because like the Borger like Kirk's con, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember when I was when we came out in '96, so I was about seven years old when it came out, and I remember going to the theater, seeing it. I became a big Star Trek fan very young, mm -hmm. and the beginning of the movie frightened the hell out of me. With oh the, yeah, with the... with the needle going in the eye and then the piece coming out of his face. Yep. And actually, that was so so cool. It was so cool. Now look at it now, and I'm like, I understand why I was scared, but it's so cool now mm -hmm. of how they pulled it off. But I remember um, when they got to the point where the board were on the ship and they were in the Jeffries tubes. When I was six years old, I actually left the theater. It was it, mm -hmm. it's quite terrifying. It. it was uh, almost um, kind of a callback to like the Alien films a little bit because yeah. that that's kind of how it starts. It's just growing slowly in the underbelly of the ship and you have absolutely no idea mm -hmm. besides small temperature changes yeah i like to look on picard's face too when Worf starts talking about the temperature change he's just like oh damn oh crap they're here yep <laughs> uh let's see here so with this too we get our first look into first contact with zephram cochran which is zephram cochran's character is just He's a good part of why this movie works. Yes, it, I I thought that the the, uh, the drunken hero aspect of this was just mm -hmm. it was dynamite. It was spot on. I loved every part of Zephyr Cochran. Uh, there was nothing to really hate about the character at all. No, no, no. Uh, and I like to like if you if you've watched um, like Enterprise, Enterprise uh, has a moment. I think it's in the first season where uh, Trip is talking to Captain Archer and they're looking up first contact and they're talking mm -hmm. about how there was a, he talks about a group of space travelers that came from the future 
uh, to help, but they weren't able to prove it or something like that. Yep. And I was like, that was a nice first contact reference. I liked that. It was super good. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not the, uh, the first time he appeared in Star Trek. No, he, he actually guest star next gen. Three three different episodes. Uh, one was the Hunted, where he mm-hmm. played Prime Minister uh, Narok, and then in Birthright Part One and Two. Okay. And we were just talking about that on the original series movie podcast about uh, actors reused and stuff like that within Star Trek. It happens actually quite often. Yes. Yeah. It yep. does. And I guess it works if they're playing aliens because you really can't tell. But I, I remember seeing that episode of Next Gen where where the actor, James Cromo, was playing in that episode. And he had, like, my kind of haircut. And he was, like, in this gray uniform. It kind of looked mm-hmm. like a Zephyr Cochran almost type of uniform. Yeah. But I remember thinking, huh, nobody thinks it's strange that Zephyr Cochran looks like another alien on another planet. Huh. <laughs> That's interesting. Distant relative yeah. far, far away. Yeah. It's like that uh, that Superman uh, thing that it, he's so in incons- like he's uh, what is it? He looks so much like everybody else that you don't suspect him to be anyone other than who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Yeah, I loved I loved the um, oh the the Phoenix. The Phoenix was a, a good part of it. Mm-hmm. Seeing warp drive for the first time was super cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Anytime, anytime we see warp drive used, it's just all mm-hmm. I keep saying is, man, we need that technology badly. We just need that technology. I do like the uh, transition uh, from generations to this movie of Jordy not having the visor. Yeah, it was long overdue. It was time to find a way. Because the visor, it it was, it was an old sort of thing, and they needed something new, new age to look cool. And I thought the eyes did pretty well. Yeah, I like I like yeah. the eyes too because they there's a nice transition in these movies with his eyes from Generations to Insurrection because in Insurrection he actually gets actual actual eyes he goes away from mm-hmm. the the piece to robotic eyes to the real eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm still always going to associate Jordy with that visor though. Oh yeah. I well, mean, it's a done deal with that. Yeah, there's seven no years. Seven years will do that. Seeing a character a certain way, um, but it was kind of nice to see Jordy. Uh, in the movies, in a way, Jordy kind of got a finishing closure storyline from the series mm-hmm. to the movies because him getting yeah. his eyesight really—that kind of is his his bookend. Yeah. And uh, because by the time we get to Nemesis, he's not given a whole lot to do, so I feel like an Insurrections was kind of like his his story bookend. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but it's still hard to imagine for me that Jordy is the guy from fucking Reading Rainbow. <laughs> yeah, I can I can just picture that song in my head watching it in school. Rainbow. Take a look. It's in a book. Yeah. I mean hell, wasn't that where we got our first look at like Wishbone and all that too? Yeah, Wishbone. Wishbone uh, was all that. Clifford the big red dog, Arthur. Arthur. You know, all that stuff. Oh, well, that, yeah. That's when kids shows were were still we're still good shows and good. They haven't been and good not, in years. And not full of adult jokes that uh, kids could just easily get <laughs> past. Yeah, so much innuendos and stuff that kids are like, hey, mommy, what's that mean? Um, maybe you shouldn't mm. be watching this cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, first contact. 
Borg yeah, Queen. Hey, let's we, go back to that. We got to talk about the Borg Queen. Oh, of course. Her um, what, 0.3 seconds manipulation of data. Yeah, it didn't take long. Once he got that taste of human skin, that was, that was pretty much it. And I, lo I loved how it was put in the end where he was just like, yeah, I was tempted by her, but it was like a minuscule amount <laughs> of where it was just time. just time. I'd like to know how the, how the hell the board queen can get sexual. I just, I can't really figure that one out. I don't want to figure that out. Uh, no, it's, it's, that's, I, just, uh, I don't get it. That's something I don't want to get into either. I'm okay with not exploring uh, Borg sexuality. I didn't even know they could. I mean, it's like, why do they need to? Uh... I, I am sure there is somewhere out there in the universe, someone is creating this right now. <laughs> the question is, can Borgs reproduce if she can have sexual relations? That's the question. Borg can, well... Borg can reproduce because they showed that in um, a previous Borg episode <laughs> of where they showed their young in um, those little, like, bed chambers of children oh my god i completely forgot about that what season was that in i cannot remember i'm gonna have to Borg. watch that episode now because i completely forgot about that uh, maturation chamber it's in it's actually in the uh q who when they first meet the borg oh the first Borg it is the oh, first I borg episode that. when they're exploring okay. the borg ship Okay, I gotta rewatch that again because I did not remember but that. But I, yeah, I no, no, want to no. say that they kind of gave up on that little tidbit because mm -hmm. it would make people very uncomfortable to see babies with implants as kind of as graphic as you see in First Contact. You, you know what's funny about that too? Ronald D. Moore, who was a writer on Next Generation and mm -hmm. even for the, some of the movies, he wrote and created the new Battlestar Galactica. And mm -hmm. it was all about how Cylons were able to make themselves into making look like human beings and eventually be able to reproduce with other Cylons. So it's kind of almost like what he couldn't do in next gen, he took it over to Battlestar. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, but, another uh, reason why the whole um, sexuality <coughs> brought up is because uh, the Borg Queen kind of went to the basics of human emotion mm -hmm. and what a lot of people say that everything kind of boils down to sexual attraction. Mm -hmm. And that was very tempting for an Android who is experiencing something like this for the very first time, mm -hmm. touch and everything associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the last time we know that data was in a sexual situation was with Tasha in season one. I think it was like episode two of the series. Was it? Yeah, it was it was the one two? where they were all kind of feeling it, like a heat fever, and they were all kind of yeah. like this. Yeah, it was like the second or third episode of the series, and I think that's <laughs> what Data was referencing to the Borg Queen when he said about if you're refu if you're referring to sexuality, I am fully functional. Eight years, ten months, three days. That'd be, that'd be right about right. Be right about right from when the first season was. It's perfect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Go, Data, man. Go for it. <laughs> Shit. Why not? Go for it. Do we, an eight-year eight yeah. dry spell for data. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Well, all right. Well, let's get into insurrection because we <laughs> we got into Borg sexuality. What did you guys think of the ending of this movie? 
Oh, first contact or insurrection? Yeah. We lost you there for a minute. Yeah. First contact. First contact. Well, how can you really end first contact besides seeing how history really plays out? True. If you end it other than seeing what should have happened happened, then it almost kind of feels like you were cheated out of an ending because then you're kind of sitting there wondering, did it happen the way it was supposed to happen or did they change things indefinitely? Yeah, you see, that I'm, I was still questioning for the longest time was, was this what happened? It Was what happened happened? happening or are we just seeing history just getting changed all of a sudden yeah because you know i almost feel like like we don't see the enterprise get back to their time so it almost makes you wonder like should we maybe have seen a moment where they got back and everything was the same or maybe there was a little blurb of a little bit of a change (laughs) well it would have been interesting that also depends on how star trek handles time as um as most other uh, fantasies do is that you're looking at it as in like uh, um, like back, back to the future. future it takes a little time to actually cement itself or mm-hmm. anything like that whereas I think in Trek it was just if it happened it happened it's done future's changed that's what I think too because I mean we saw how the Kelvin timeline worked and that obviously mm-hmm. hasn't changed anything in Star Trek Picard and that no. Star Trek Picard happens after Spock left and did that so mm-hmm. yeah I have to agree it probably is more like Avengers I, did it I think I think that Picard is an absolute different timeline from the Kelvin timeline. I think they're two, di- oh, yeah. two separate universes. There's no way that they're they're connected. No, no. Picard Picard is after Nemesis and everything is flows into that. And I think after yep. Spock leaves, it's almost like an alternate, just alternate timeline that's separate. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't change what happens over. And the that's okay. Just, I have yeah. I have no problem branching into alternate time, alternate no. universes no, of the Star Trek universe. But I'll be interested to see how Star Trek Discovery is going to handle that because they're going far into the future mm-hmm. and we're going to see how that's going to kind of end up. Depends on how they decide to do that. I, I'm True. so excited to look for it. I'm so excited for that. A couple show. weeks. Yep. I'm excited for it too. At the same time, I'm gonna hold my reserves on it. Yeah, Justin, I don't want to set my expectations too high, just in case they flop hard. Yeah, and see how they're gonna handle, how they're gonna explain all that. Because I'm, I'm very happy and satisfied with the way they explained uh, why Spock couldn't say he had, you know, a sister, and they couldn't reference the discovery in the spore drive. They did a very good job of backing themselves out of that hole because they they really got themselves in a situation. This really was the only way they could do it. See, yeah, I was wondering if Cybok was ever going to appear in uh, <coughs> in Discovery with uh, with Spock around. That's a good point too. <laughs> it's like where's Cybok? Because he talks about he's his brother, but we never ever see Cybok when there's a young Spock around. Not even in the Kelvin timeline. We I never think, see Cybok. I honestly think that everyone thinks that movie is so bad that they just disregarded <laughs> his canon. Because, you could. Yeah. You could. Yeah. There's nothing that's brought up from it. No, it's not. It's it's terrible i can't do it just jump from voyage home to undiscovered country and you're not gonna miss a thing nope not at all so basically just watch two three four and six basically there's only four original series movies that, that's good mm-hmm. enough for me that yep. cuts it i'm okay with it i don't know so final frontiers that people keep talking about huh i don't know what this final frontier movie yeah i don't know what that is either is. although insurrection we're talking about next gets brought up as the final frontier of the next gen movies and i don't think that's fair at all Okay, I'm going to say that it's fair to a point because okay. it is I, fair to a point. 
I just watched Insurrection in my eyes for the very first time mm-hmm. about a week ago. Okay. <laughs> I I looked at that movie and I thought I didn't realize it until recently that it came after First Contact and I felt like it was kind of a downgrade to where First Contact was. Basically, yeah. maybe it should have come after Generations instead? Yes. Okay, I can see that I, point. I think so. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is because First Contact looked really really cool with their um the the color scheme the color scheme was great yeah the darkness and everything where Mm -hmm. insurrection kind of feels more like a tng episode where everything's a little bit lighter and Mm -hmm. i know that's because of the planet they're on and everything but it just feels much lighter and brighter Mm -hmm. it's not so much a dark situation as in like a nuisance that's happening to this planet I can understand that. I can, I can see what you're talking about there. Yeah, I guess if you compare it to the other one, one coming after the other, it is a definitely a far cry from First Contact. It's a mm-hmm. it's a pretty big diversion away. It diverts away. Um, but I mean, as a whole, did you still enjoy it, though? I enjoyed the film uh, because I was giving it an honest chance. Mm-hmm. Because originally, I thought I was watching... Oh, when I first thought I watched it, I thought I think I watched an actual <laughs> TNG episode, and I realized, yep, that's what I thought I was watching. This is what I actually got, mm-hmm. which is nice. Mm-hmm. It was a nice, okay. it was a nice film. It was kind of, it wasn't as high tension as First Contact was, no. which mm-hmm. I think was also a drawback from this movie. Sure, the stakes didn't feel high, but it's also going to the whole uh, theme later on that Starfleet sometimes doesn't exactly follow its own rules. Yeah, I mean, in a way, I always said it, I like Nemesis, but I almost felt like Insurrection, the way it ends, would have been a good bookend to Next Gen with the ending. And also, too, if you look, the way it flows Insurrection into Star Trek Picard, especially with the whole Starfleet going against regulations, it's actually Mm. a nice little transition into Star Trek Picard. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's actually funny that you bring up how uh, you thought that this was just like another episode of TNG, how we were discussing that. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading right here. Patrick Stewart thought that the first Next Generation film uh, was too much like a television episode, but thought his character, uh, Jean-Luc Picard, was redefined as a movie hero in First Contact. Mm-hmm. And he was concerned that in this film, the character return to that scene in the television series so he basically says that basically the character went backwards he was afraid that the character was going to be seen as going backwards yeah so i take it that he didn't necessarily like the way insurrection took his character well because it doesn't seem like it yeah it took Mm. it took picard away from the the duty role for a second to kind of find a relationship in somebody. That was nice. To where he d- <laughs> he did find a relationship in TNG, but I honestly felt that that was it was never meant to be. Yeah, I think she one-off. she ended up going up like exploring the galaxy with uh, with Q. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. But mm-hmm. I I I uh, couldn't even tell you her name. <laughs> No, and this is another thing, too, is, like, he tells her at the end of this film that, you know, he's got some shore leave coming, he's going to go back. Well, um, 
I'm getting the sense between this and Picard, he never went back to see her. No. Which is unfortunate no. because I think it gave him some humanity. It really did. Which I think you you bringing up that this, if this one was the ending point of the four films, it could have been better. But yeah. then, but then Nemesis would have been very, uh, <laughs> it would have caused a lot of plot holes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that would have gotten people yeah, just a few. all over the place. It would have, yeah, it would have been confusing. You know, Riker well. getting in his own ship, but then coming back to the Enterprise for another mission. Yeah. Well. Insurrection would work as a finale if they tweaked some things that kind of fit the events after Nemesis. And you'd also have to admit Data dying in, in Nemesis. Mm -hmm. Or you'd have to say that Data or B4 became Data. One of the two. Yeah. But, uh... Um, I did not particularly care for the Sona in Insurrection. I kind of felt like I, they were I lackluster. I really didn't care for them the either. The stretchy face people, I call them. Yep, that's mm -hmm. pretty much what they were. Yep. I do find it interesting, though, what I just read here. Uh, before the casting process, mm -hmm. no actors had been considered for the roles of the Sona leader, the Baku woman, and the Starfleet admiral. And I was mm. watching it. I was watching Insurrection, <laughs> and I was trying to place where I knew the Admiral from, and then I had to go back. I'm like, nope, he's from the Matrix movies. Yep. Oh yeah, he was. He was the architect, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, he wasn't the architect. He was uh, one of the council members that That's talked right. to Neo down in the garbage center. Or That's whatever. right. Him and the architect look very, very similar. They have very similar facial features, but that's that's mm. why I guess that's why I confused too. But uh, yeah, I do find it interesting that uh, the guy who played uh, Ruafo, mm -hmm. uh, Murray Abraham, uh, was given the role without an audition. Well, F. Murray Abraham, I can kind of understand that because he's he's a veteran actor. He had been around a good while. He had been in a lot of big movies. Uh, I have a feeling that Patrick Stewart probably had something to do with his casting because I know F. Marie Abraham came from the stage as well. So he probably knew him from the stage and I have a feeling that he probably recommended him. Yeah, I would imagine so. Mm -hmm. uh, so anything else of note in Insurrection? I mean, the, the space sequences were nice. I thought the, the you know, the use of gas and everything the Riker explore. maneuver the Riker maneuver was actually yeah. pretty decent I thought mm -hmm. that was pretty cool um, the uh, the concept of the briar patch I find particularly interesting mm -hmm. because it's just a place where you can't contact people outside of it but mm -hmm. then it acts kind of like a nebula anyways so I just realized Star Trek Beyond kind of used reused that I just caught that. They rehashed something. Wow. Huh. Yep. So that wasn't like a newfound idea. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow, interesting. All right. Uh, yeah, you caught <laughs> something new there. Simon Pegg, <laughs> you stole something from Insurrection, you hack. <laughs> no. Oh, gosh. Right. What makes it beyond even the worse of a movie? No Credits will do fine. No, oh, no. I, I don't want to say bring up Star Wars because <laughs> no. Trekkie, Trekkies listening to this will get pissed. No, nope. <laughs> forget I said that. Uh, yeah, let's let's not get into that one. No, that's a, another debate. 
Um, so okay, so we get into Star Trek Nemesis, basically we get back into to first what contact. Arguably, is the most controversial of the films in this series. Yep, torn towards the tears the fans apart a little bit here, much like Rise hey. of Skywalker. I think Jedi. Nemesis was a great film. I think it was poorly executed at some points, mm-hmm. but it had the potential to be really great, and that's what I, I look agree. at it with. Because well, I think the Romulans cloning Picard and then using his DNA as some sort of like super commander in their own fleet. Mm-hmm. That sounds something like, um, oh, what's his name from TNG? Uh, <clears throat> Admiral Tomalak or something mm-hmm. from the Romulan army. I think that would have been a really good plug to have him be kind of like the... The mastermind? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. of the whole operation. Like his... He could have had like his final death scene or something. Like he died from old age, but his plan was going to go forward, sort of thing. I almost feel like too, if this film would have been made now, Patrick Stewart would have played a de-aged version of Shinzon. Oh, for sure. And Absolutely. I and not take away from Tom Hardy. I think he does a good job in this movie playing him, but I think it would have been kind of cool to see Patrick Stewart play that part. Yeah, it would have been cool. I would have liked to seen him play full on evil. It would have been a very wide range for Picard to try and handle in that movie. Yeah. To do both the good guy and the bad guy. Would have been would, really interesting to see. It would have been fun. It would have been fun. Oh, it really would have. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, the design of the, um, the scimitar is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. It, it shows the absolute elegance of the Romulan uh, warbirds. Mm-hmm. in all of its majesty. <laughs> yeah, it's like 20 different warbirds thrown together as one massive ship. Mm-hmm. And it is massive. It's huge. I like, to think, I like to see that thing take on a board cube. Oh, God. Well, I mean, using its uh, main weapon, it would definitely take out, it could take out a lot of Borg. And in fact, they can shoot cloaked. That would be huge. Although, I don't yep. know, maybe the Borg could track that. I don't know if the Borg's technology could compensate for that. They adapt to so much. But Well, I think they, yeah. would adapt to, they wouldn't adapt just to the maneuvers. They would adapt just the phaser or the, the structure. Oh. All right. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I never I, – I, I just learned today that Ron Perlman was the Riemann Viceroy. Yep. yep. <laughs> Pre-Hellboy. Okay. Pre-Hellboy, yep. Okay, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this is... They, I, th- I have a feeling that this is the movie that basically got Guillermo del Toro to one of the cast as Hellboy, just seeing how he could act in makeup and how domineering he could be in that makeup. Yeah. Me, besides Ron, per, uh, Ron Perlman's character, I didn't really care for the other Remans myself no not the other ones Mm -mm. the the other ones they didn't pull off the characteristics that they were that we were taught at the beginning that they were warriors they were fierce yet one of them is sitting at the console looking at shinzon like what what do i do (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) yeah he looked like he was scared out of his mind like i don't know what to do it's like well they're all supposed to be warriors so why would he be standing there looking like a little bitch at the console Mm -hmm. yeah But yeah, so I mean, so the movie gives you Ron Perlman, it gives you Tom Hardy, and basically what is his, I think it's probably first big role, even though he disappeared after this. There's actually a fun fact here, and it's actually not even a fun fact for him, but... Well, yeah, I mean, it really was his first big role. Um, 
So looking here, uh, Baird and Berman had been searching for someone who resembled Patrick Stewart but looked about 25 years younger. At one point, they considered Jude Law. Uh, I I, I could see that. Yeah. Baird specifically wanted an unknown actor and Hardy auditioned by tape after Stewart asked uh, Hardy's agent if he thought of any, any of his clients were suitable for it. Well, after this movie bombed, and I mean, the movie did bomb because it got beat out by Made in Manhattan at the box office. That's insulting. Oh, yeah. I don't want to get talk about that. Yeah, that's very insulting. But after the movie bombed and the Star Trek universe basically died soon after this, I guess Tom Hardy couldn't find work. And apparently he got so depressed that he actually was suicidal. And uh, it took him a while to get his life back on track to go back and act. And I'm glad he did because, I mean, look, look at how many good movies he's been in now. Oh I yeah, mean, he really turned his career around, and he's one of those elite actors now. But uh, yeah, Star Trek it, it hit him hard, and I I think he looks back at this movie now and probably really regrets it. It's probably like uh, oh, what's the guy who played Anakin as a kid? The same kind of concept with that. Except, oh, Hayden Christensen. Uh, no, not Hayden Christensen. The uh, um, the younger one. Oh, uh, Jake Lloyd. Hey. Jake Lloyd. Yeah. yeah. It's like a Jake Lloyd story, except Jake Lloyd didn't come back to acting. No, and his life is still a mess. He like turned into a druggie and he got arrested numerous times and I think he even got in trouble for assaulting his mother. Yeah, that kid became a mess. But I guess after he did Star Wars, I guess he was bullied and belittled in school for it. Mm-hmm. Why I don't know. He played a young Darth Vader. Why would mm-hmm. why would kids belittle a little a young Darth Vader? I don't understand it. Because they're jealous of the fame that he got. That's what I think it was. But I, I, I think this is one of my favorite <laughs> Tom Hardy films. I think Tom Hardy played a great young Picard. He did, especially oh, yeah. a young, angry Picard. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I, I, I understood what the movie was trying to go for. It's just it would Picard do the things that he would do in that situation? Yes because it happened you don't question it because it happened i know that he wants to look back and say hey would this happen to me no because you're you uh so i've got a question for you guys Mm -hmm. how hated of a character was wesley crusher on a series because because i'm reading here that uh nemesis was the was to have been the first Star Trek film to feature the character of Wesley Crusher, mm-hmm. and his scenes were almost entirely cut from the cut from the film, leaving only a brief silent cameo during the wedding. Well, that's the thing is that uh, the deleted scene that they put in Nemesis was uh, a scene of where he was saying of how he was getting back to Starfleet. I think he was going to be serving on the Titan, which is as a well. Which is a plot hole because he was supposed to go off with the traveler and learn this, the mysteries of the universe, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So if you had that much power, I just power remember and... that uh, Will Wheaton's character in this was, or not in this film, but in the Next Generation series, was like a really divided one from a lot of people I've talked to. It depends on where you're looking at. There's some yeah. episodes that he is really good in, and then there's some episodes that are lackluster. It's it's. It, he was trying to find his own stride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, he, he started finding his own, I think, in the later seasons, right before they <laughs> wrote his character off. He was finally starting to figure his character out. 
because yeah. in the early episodes where he was given his own storylines, those episodes usually were relatively weak because he hadn't found the character. And it's, it's almost upsetting mm-hmm. that by the time he found the character, they wrote him off because he might have had potential. He did have potential. And I think the one, uh, what was it? The one where I did see a lot of potential in the Will Wheaton character was um, where they were escorting that uh, those two shapeshifters to that planet that only they can beam down in and mm-hmm. whatnot. And he kind yeah. of falls in love with the girl who's supposed to rule the planet. Yep. I thought that was a really good episode of Wesley Crusher. Mm-hmm. And then he keeps, he goes on and then there's like episodes where he acts like a little kid like Again. much yep. younger even though he has such a really superior intellect to a lot of people it's mm, inconsistencies of writing the character yes and i think that was the writer's problem and not the actor's problem yeah unless unless uh will wheaton was a part of that could have been <sighs> could have been but yeah i mean i never found his character to be uh I know he gets a lot of backlash. I never found myself feeling the way some fans do about him. Um, especially yes, since I he's not in the entire the series. Way. I never really understood the backlash for his character. Mm-mm. No. No, it's not deserved. It really isn't. No, but the movie, the movie, I'm, it's actually good that the movie did cut that scene because that is a huge plot hole. But, I mean, you still see him in the movie, though. So the movie itself still has the plot hole because... He's not there. I guess maybe you could say he took a break from the traveler and somehow they let him out and he was able to go to the wedding. I guess you um, could argue I saw, that. I saw a theory is that if he has all that power to be able to kind of bend things to where he wants to, you know, look the way he wants to look because he's at a Starfleet wedding, maybe he wants to wear a Starfleet uniform just to be, just to fit in so he doesn't look out of place. I mean, awesome. he's at the he's at the head table. Of course, he's gonna be looking like the rest of them. <laughs> exactly. I guess it didn't. And that's one thing I think we didn't bring up from uh, Insurrection is that I did like the fact that they kind of brought uh, Riker and Troy together in that, and uh, made them yeah. an, an item because yeah. that overdue. was that was long overdue. I, yeah, it was. <sighs> I'm conflicted on the Troy Wharf relationship that was teased in the series, but I felt like her and Riker had much more chemistry on screen. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the whole Troy Wharf relationship, I never really got. And there's also another reason too. I'm saying why like this film didn't make anywhere near as much in the box office as the other ones had done prior to this. Mm-hmm. Three big movies came out in the same month span. Lord of the Rings. The Chamber of Secrets came out in November 15th. November 22nd was Die Another Day. 007. Mm-hmm. And then December 18th was The Two Towers. Yeah, that movie was doomed yeah. to fail. It was doomed yep. to fail. I mean, it did get beat by Made in Manhattan. So, I mean, maybe it wasn't that doomed to fail. Should have won at least one weekend before Lord of the Rings came out, but I mean, this movie is known as half of the death of Star Trek at the time because Enterprise yeah. was the other half of the death just about a year year uh, or so later. And the thing is, is that Enterprise had so much potential, but it ended up being so boring, and the storyline was boring. the The characters were, 
I think the characters boring. they were they weren't just boring, but they were sad characters. They were they were yeah, always they were crying over dry. something. The there was were overly emotional. It was just like watching teenagers at that point. Then it's just mm-hmm. overly sad for no reason. They were trying to con. They were trying to do the same kind of concept with TNG and Enterprise, and I didn't like it. There were some emo- episodes that were super similar, um, and it was I couldn't get over that. And Enterprise, as much as I do like parts of it, it I. I couldn't go back and watch it now. Yeah, it's it, yeah. it to me. To me, they were they were trying to go back to a time that there's so much had evolved at that point. You know, we already had Voyager and DS9, and to go back to what it was 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 too little, too late. They had to keep the narrative advancing, much like Discovery and Picard are doing now. They have mm-hmm. evolved the times. The storytelling and TV shows have changed, so now Star Trek has matured and changed with it, mm-hmm. and. Enterprise wasn't allowing Star Trek to mature. DS9 was probably the most mature Trek at that time. Yeah. And for them to go back to almost after original series, pre-TNG kind of storytelling, it doesn't work. And by the time Enterprise Season 4 came on, the show was just now finding a stride (laughs) where it was finally starting to be interesting. And it was too little too late because the ratings had plummeted by then. And you can't have a show all of a sudden find the ground or hit the ground running four years in. It just doesn't work. And I can't really pinpoint one character from that series that I could say was my favorite. I, I can't. I just can't. No, I can't either. But, I mean. But going back to this film, though, mm-hmm. like Rotten Tomatoes, I'm seeing, uh, giving it a critic rating of 32% based on 162 reviews. <laughs> Yeah, that's bad. Still not the lowest rated one. Final Frontier. Yep. <laughs> I mean, what does God need with a starship anyways? What does God need with a Rotten Tomatoes score? <laughs> what does God need with a starship anyway? Like I keep saying, get away from Sam and Dean. <laughs> <laughs> Good old right. Chuck trying to get away and he's a starship. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine that crossover? <laughs> That'd be interesting. Actually, probably with the way Supernatural is telling their alternate I different universes, Star Trek probably to. exists. <laughs> you have new but, uh, no, but I, I mean, I guess Nemesis does deserve part of the credit for killing Star Trek, and mainly it's because if you just watch the deleted scenes for this movie, you can see why the movie was basically doomed to fail. Yeah. They had a director that yeah. did not understand Star Trek. They hired a director who had never seen Star Trek before. And they fired Jonathan Frakes from the job. That was Why? the biggest mistake that yeah. they could have done is, at least if you're going to hire someone who hadn't worked in the Star Trek universe before, at least make it someone that has watched it previously. Yeah, exactly. That is what killed this movie, I think. And I told Jason I earlier. I thought the movie was really good. Mm-hmm. I will say that I thought the movie was good. But when you have a director that does not understand the nuances of this of this entire franchise, it, you're not going to have a great final product. No, and the scenes being cut is a prime example of it. I was telling Jason before this, I said, the guy that directed it, Stuart Baird, he was, a, he was an editor for a lot of big movies, and he was a second unit director. But uh, he directed a few films prior to this. He did this movie. How he got this job, I'll never know. Because none of the cast even liked him after it was all said and done. 
Um, well, after say, this movie, this was his third film that he directed, and he has not directed one since. He, spends, he went back uh, to editing a second unit. Right? No other yeah, movies after that. Prior. Yeah, and I'm not seeing any. Like, but films he did prior to this were U.S. Marshals and Executive Decision. So the not so good Fugitive sequel, and a oh forgettable Mel Gibson it's movie. So bad. I think so. What got yeah, in this? Never drop? do it again. Don't come back. Can you imagine? Hey, we're gonna make Star Trek Four. Let's bring back I... Stuart Baird. <laughs> I think all the I think all the Star Trek fans be like I'm done. Maybe it was... I'm done. Berman explained. Berman explained that Baird would bring fresh blood to the film, and that Berman had enjoyed the sense of fun and action that existed. This is what I got to say to Rick Berman for that decision right there. That's what I got to say to him because apparently he all of a sudden didn't understand Trek. Because if you watch the DVD oh. before the deleted scenes, he talks about Rick Berman saying, "Well, we cut the scenes out because we wanted the movie to come in under two hours. Why?" Star Trek fans will see a two and a half hour movie if it's the last next gen movie. We don't need a two hour time limit, but we can hold our year, our uh, our. No, so yeah, key. Star Trek fans will watch a two and a half hour movie just like Lord of the Rings fans will gladly sit through another three plus hour movie. Exactly. Just like how Star Wars fans will sit through a long movie, Marvel fans will sit through a two and a half hour film as well. And do you know why I like Star Trek Into Darkness so much? Because. <laughs> The movie was two hours and 20 minutes. It had a lot of room to breathe and it felt like a fully fleshed out Trek film. Yes, it did. Exactly. And it got yes, hit for it. it. I cannot, I, I cannot to this day understand why it got so much hate it did, but we'll have to go into that next time. Yeah. We're going to have fun with that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I guess one big thing we should finally address with Nemesis is of course Data's death. It was, yeah. it was fitting. I felt it was fitting. It I felt was. it was the it natural turned. progression of Data's character. As in, in each movie, he finds a different um, aspect of humanity that he kind of dives into mm-hmm. with, uh, with <laughs> uh, generations. It was emotions in general. Uh, with First Contact, it was both fear and, you know, sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When it came to interaction, it went the child route, which is a really interesting turn of emotional theme. A little bit of everything. And then it went to uh, just a strong connection in general to the people that he was around in mm-hmm. Nemesis, to where he cared enough about Picard to give up his own life, mm-hmm. which would have well, gone yeah, long after. destroyed the generator and scimitar as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, I, Data's death here is a lot more earned and better than Kirk's. Absolutely. It's 100%. It's just earned. It's just, it feels as though it's a good bookend to Data. I mean, he gets a better bookend in, in yeah, Picard like, I now. I thought this but... was a proper send-off for Data's character. Mm-hmm. 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 And, and, and the reason why uh, Picard finishes the storyline perfectly is because it gives Data the heroic send-off, and then in Picard, it gives the emotional send-off. Yep and the relationship between him and Picard. Basically, all the scenes they had cut from Nemesis, basically, in a way, got put back into Picard, and we finally got that emotional connection that was cut from that movie to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I do love here, like, right at the end of the film, you know, Picard's bidding farewell to Riker, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he meets with B4 and discovers that before uh, he boarded the scimitar, Data downloaded the engrams of his neural net into B4. And, and he's, you know, he's starting to sing Blue Skies, which Picard just leaves the corner smiling from that. Yeah, Picard, uh, Picard did something different that I did not expect. <coughs> because I, bef- yeah. bef- before the uh, first Kelvin movie came out, they did a graphic novel called Star Trek Countdown. And oh. it was about the next-gen crew trying to save Romulus with Ambassador Spock. And okay. Picard was Admiral. Data was now captain of the Enterprise. The B4 download worked. And it led all into the events of Star Trek, the first Kelvin movie. Now, Picard decided to ignore the graphic novel completely because they went and they said that the download never worked in B4. Mm-hmm. And Data then never became captain. Picard became Admiral, but it didn't become that. And I guess I read in the uh, Picard book, they wrote a Picard uh, book that takes place before Picard. Worf actually became captain of the Enterprise after Picard. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I could kind of see that happening considering what the first film we saw uh, Worf getting promoted to a lieutenant commander. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he made his way up through DS9, too. So, I mean, it, it makes sense he became a captain, but uh, yeah. I, I'm just very shocked that they ignored the countdown events and decided to go the different route. See, I had never, and this is the first time I've actually heard of countdown, so I might actually look into that. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm it's three definitely going to be looking into it. So you like three or, four, three or four comics, or you can buy it. I actually have it uh, downstairs. You can buy it like with all of them in one, in one book. It's, it's really good. And <laughs> I, I was very surprised that Picard decided to divert away from it because I thought it was a really good way to kind of connect the way what happened with B4. But Picard just said, you know what, we're going to give Data a different kind of send-off, I guess. Which, it still yeah. worked. It still worked, yeah. don't get me wrong. Just, it's just I different. Think, and that's, I think that's the big issue when it comes to turning uh, like a graphic novel or a book into a movie, is that they don't want to do everything the same or else you're just getting the same thing but on screen. It becomes, yeah. it becomes boring, it becomes uninspired. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to change a few things or else you're just left with the same product. It's true, and maybe they diverted away from it because they wanted to not make Picard predictable. They wanted to go a different route with data that was not not known, not predictable. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. But uh, all right, so let's, uh, let's go down the line of the four movies and let's give them our rating score and what order we liked them in. Uh, let's start with you, Mike. Okay, um... First contact, obviously, I, I feel is the best. Um, I won't, we won't even give a number score. We'll just pick them in the order like we did with the other one. So I probably would have to go first contact. Uh, this is where I get a little thing. I, I like Insurrection quite a bit because I like some of the um, the next-gen episode kind of feel to it in a way. Uh, so I probably would go first contact, Insurrection, Generations Nemesis. I think I'm going to have to go uh, with First Contact. It's just such a phenomenal film, and I love everything about it. Um, Generations would have to come right next to it. 
because of the Kirk Picard team up. And I thought that Malcolm McDowell was a good, yeah. good choice. Um, it's sad because I, I do want to put Nemesis at the third spot. It's it's one of my favorite movies, but it's it does lack where the other two do do not. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and then uh, in final place, just because it is still so new to me, and I should probably watch it more to understand what everybody else sees in it, mm-hmm. is Insurrection at the end. Probably might might grow the more you watch it. Yeah, I agree with Jeremy's order. First Contact, Generations, Nemesis, and then Insurrection. Okay. All right then. Okay, so if we had to basically pick our two favorites. All right, but so which one's the one that we all pretty much all agreed on for the first six movies though? Was we the all best said one? Undiscovered Country was the best. Yes. Okay. So we all agree so this time again. Between between <laughs> Undiscovered Country and First Contact. Ooh. That's, oh, that's <sighs> so unfair. I know. Gotta ask the hard questions. I I think oh, I think I'm gonna go with Undiscovered Country because of the fact that it has that political intrigue aspect with mm-hmm. it, to where uh, First Contact is more of a Trek action film. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna give First Contact the slight edge just because of the personal feud that Picard has with the Borg, and it finally gives us the emotional payoff and ending to his Borg storyline mm-hmm. with them. So I'll give that the slight edge. I'll go with that just just barely. Oh, you see, I had a hard time deciding on this one too, but I do have to agree with Mike on this one and give First Contact the slight edge. What's because, what, what, yeah, go ahead. because, like you said, of the Borg storyline with Picard. Yeah. I'm going to make another counter argument. Ooh, okay, okay, here we go. Undiscovered Country is better. I think Undiscovered Country is better because all of the main characters are really given something to do in the film. You see quite an equal amount of things going on with every single one of the characters. True. I think maybe, maybe Chekhov gets the shaft. In undiscovered country. Yeah, he has kind of the shaft. But the 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 chemistry between uh, McCoy and uh, Kirk in the entire movie, and then the desperation basically coming from Spock to get them out of the situation, and the whole crew kind of working against Starfleet's orders. It was just uh, it felt so cohesive in that one. That's where you you do see the other people in. Uh, first contact, but you you get action scenes with Worf. You don't get any emotional time with Worf. That that's Worf true. Gets, yeah. Worf gets a big shaft after he gets onto the Enterprise. That's the one problem I think that the next gen movies have compared to the original ones is that not many of the other characters of the next gen crew <laughs> get get time to shine in their own in their own thing. I mean, Riker gets his. Well, moments I will. With Troy I will agree. Like with that, you. I think the. I think that the original movies were a lot more rounded in the fact that, you know, they gave people more character development, mm-hmm. especially mm. like you were saying, Jeremy, with the last movie on Discovered Country. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, 
TNG felt like it was a action uh, saga through and through, with only certain characters really getting that uh, thorough character development. Yeah, and that's interesting. It's an interesting note, too, that you talk about, like, the way that well-rounded and everything, because if you look at Next Gen compared to the original series, Next Gen almost feels as though it's mainly just about Picard and then becomes about Picard and Data as it, as it progresses, whereas the original series is Kirk and Spock, but everybody else is still given more moments to get their own storylines and their own personal development in those six movies. And that might be the one gripe that Next Gen could have done better was giving the crew more to do and not exactly. just Picard and Data. Yeah. So I can I kind of agree with your counter on that, Jeremy. And that actually is a good point. And that almost makes me want to say that maybe, maybe just yeah. the balance might shift a little bit, slight undiscovered country for yeah, that reason alone. That, that was, I was, I wasn't ready for that counter argument. No, I and, might have to agree. And I think the only reason why I think some of my bias got in the way because the Picard crew next gen's always been my favorite over the original, but if I'm being well, fair again, to the quality of admit, movie. I mean, I've always been a, I've always been a Picard guy over mm -hmm. a Kirk guy. But if I'm being fair to quality of movie, I think Jeremy's Yeah, he's makes he's a very right. good point. He's right. I One don't nothing like Jeremy. <laughs> oh, just wait. I'm I'm prepared to I make it like two nothing. I don't like admitting that I am wrong, but <laughs> Oh, I have a feeling the Kelvin trilogy is going to be fun. Kelvin trilogy will be very fun. It'll be fun. But yeah, so that's next on the Kelvin trilogy. But before we get the Kelvin the trilogy last back, three films of the series. Yeah, but before we get back into the Kelvin trilogy, we are pleased to announce that our next part of Marvel is coming. And that's where I plan to get my two and zero victory. Yeah, D Dan's exactly. going to be very, very in trouble because it's going to be basically four against one with that whole <laughs> that whole team cap uh, Iron Man thing. He's going to be. Like, please explain to me how how cap is on the side of the right i have a feeling dan's gonna need like a 30-minute argument in that podcast to try to make a point no, no. i think I, uh, but you no, know what we'll get into that i'm not gonna yeah. start that we can't do it right now <laughs> it'll be fun but yeah so we'll be doing that and for that, saying, podcast, that might be one of our most argumentative podcasts it, mm -hmm. it, it it's gonna be interesting that really might be one of our most argumentative but uh cool thing about it is that's gonna be our five person podcast that's going to be quite the room quite the opinions and everything but also we should note we will do a dedication to chadwick boseman within that because we'll be talking about black panther as well yep so uh all right so thank you too for uh for being a part of the star trek one and we still have one part to go but marvel's oh, next as always can't wait. All right, everybody. Listen to our Marvel podcast coming in about a week and a half, two weeks. And um, listen to us then. So signing off, Mike Winkler right. with Jason Kabasik and Jeremy Larson. And we'll see you on Marvel Phase 3, Part 1. Space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.